1: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. My guest today is Dr. Samantha Havilland, Executive Director of Career Development and Student Success for Denver Public Schools. Sam and I were introduced by our mutual friend, Joanna Lilly, who's been a guest on this podcast a couple of times. I am so grateful that Joanna connected us. You will hear me say this during our conversation, and I'm only half joking. If I could convince my family to go with me, I'd sell my house and move to Denver so my kids could attend Denver Public Schools. Don't get me wrong, I love where we live, love our neighbors, and love the winters here in Florida. And our public schools here are doing a pretty good job. It's just that Denver Public Schools, otherwise known as DPS, is doing an amazing job in setting their students up for success after high school. From elementary school all the way through high school, DPS facilitates and encourages students to explore careers and start planning for their future. Their high school students have to complete their checkout list before they can participate in graduation activities. DPS demonstrates a we-are-all-in-this-together mentality, through their strong relationships with local businesses, colleges, and legislators. And they make social-emotional learning a priority for every single student in their district. There's a ton of value in this conversation for parents, educators, and anyone who cares about setting kids up for success. So let's get started. Hi, Sam. Thanks so much for being here on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.
0: Hi, Betsy. Thank you for having me today.
1: I'm so glad that our mutual friend, Joanna Lilly, shout out to Joanna, um, introduced us because you are a wealth of information and you have so many cool things going on in your school district that I just knew that parents and others had to hear about Um for for my listeners, I've already said this more than once, I literally want to put a for sale sign in my front yard and move my kids to Denver Public Schools, which won't happen. Just kidding for anyone who's listening. But um, before we get into all the questions that I have for you, can you just give a quick intro about who you are and what you do?
0: Yeah. yeah and shout out to Joanna Lilly. <laughs> I am a former school counselor. Um, So worked in schools for the great majority of my career. And now I work at the district level for Denver Public Schools. So I am the executive director of career development and student success for DPS. So all things college and career, all things tier one mental health, all, all kinds of stuff.
1: I love that it's called student success because right there, your intentions are focused on making sure that our kids succeed and i keep I keep trying to find this information. and I don't think it exists, and maybe it does in your district, but what are the outcomes for and percentage wise for kids who graduate? I mean, we know, and our, I know our school district is very proud of the of the percentage of kids who go on to college after high school. And that's wonderful. But I'm just wondering in general, and this may not be a question for you if you guys don't track this either, but Four years from now, are they still in college or six years from now? And 10 years from now, are they doing well? I mean, I don't think that data exists, does it?
0: Um, You know, we work to try to find employment data with the city and it, it is difficult to find. It usually requires individual checkups, which not everyone loves to talk with their high school about. But we do have college persistence data where... Uh, It's something like uh, half of our students that enter college graduate within um, a six-year time period from college. That's great. We, of course, want it higher than that, knowing that there's a portion of our students that don't select um, any sort of post-secondary. When when we use the term college in Denver Public Schools, we mean all forms of college, Mm. technical college, college. two-year, four-year. And we actually see the best results out of our students that go to
1: technical college. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about Denver Public Schools because you are an enormous school district. How many students district-wide? I get to serve
0: something like 93, 94,000 students in Denver.
1: That's yeah. a lot of
0: kids. It's a lot of a lot of students and they bring this wonderful diversity. They come from, you know, 170 countries speaking 180 languages and we're about 40% English language learners, um, 70 some percent students of color, uh, and
1: 67% free reduced lunch. So students living, um, in the poverty level. Okay. Um, so that's a lot of diversity and I'm assuming a lot of different types of educational needs to serve. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's cool about what you guys do is you start this college and career planning at the elementary level.
0: Yes. Yeah, we really do. We um, focus. We know that uh, if a student says that they're going to college starting in fifth grade, then they're likely to go to college. So the question is, is are we exposing our students to livable wage, high growth, uh, industries, careers so that they can plan accordingly. You know, I, I grew up, so I combined mental health and education because my family are mental health providers and educators. So I essentially do what I witnessed when I was a kid. Well, um, I have the you know benefit of coming from a family of mental health providers and educators and you recycle what you see. So we, um, need to work for greater exposure for jobs that are around the world. And you know, if if COVID has taught us anything, it's that a lot of our jobs can be pretty virtual. And so that really opens up the economy for kids.
1: Yeah, like it or not, most jobs can be done from home or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you gave me a statistic or a fact when we first talked before the podcast, you said reading at an early age is the number one predictor for on-time graduation and academic success. And as a daughter of a librarian, um, Mm -hmm. I support that Mm -hmm. wholeheartedly because we obviously were reading from very early ages. How does that impact your students?
0: So, yes, the statistic is that if a student is on track in their reading uh, ability in third grade, then they are most likely to graduate from high school. There are other benchmarks that we track progress towards um, for early indicators for graduation, but that third grade reading is a, a real important one. And um, because of that, there's a lot of emphasis in education on reading, especially at the younger grade levels. Um have faith. If your child is not reading on grade level at third grade, that does not mean that they are not destined for great success in the future. It's just a, um, a long-term predictor that has been used by governments to set up infrastructure for the future.
1: Okay. And from a support system standpoint, your ratios are pretty good. I mean, I can only speak to our local, well, my Boys High School, and also other people I've talked to, but our guidance counselors are serving anywhere from four to 500 kids. And that's, they're not college and career counselors, they're guidance counselors. Mm-hmm. We don't have a career and college success office in our school, and I don't know of many others that do. So, can you talk a little bit about that, about what your ratios are and what kind of staff you have in place? Yeah. Yeah. And we use the term um,
0: school counselor. The term guidance counselor brings forth a lot of people's memory of like the PE coach sitting in the office with his feet on the desk waiting to tell you whether you're college material or not. And that is not what we hire in Denver Public Schools. Um, We hire school counselors, licensed, and those school counselors have specialty knowledge in three different areas. So there's the mental health components, then there's the college and the career pieces. And then there's of course, like the academic advising stuff. So um, our school counselors are highly trained and prepared in collaboration to set up these college and career centers. We have a lot of community partners we welcome. But in the state of Colorado, our average um, student to school counselor ratio is um, somewhere around one to 380. 380 is where Denver Public Schools was when I started in DPS as uh, the head of school counseling um, back in 2012. But we've since gotten our ratios under 1 to 300 on average, with some of our high schools as low as 1 to 70.
1: Um, Wow. mm -hmm.
0: For some of our alternative schools where we know that uh, there might be a higher need, we really doubled down on, on access there. And Where I say our growth opportunity is in elementary, providing 100% of elementary school students a school counselor would be a huge win. But um, we have made great progress when it comes to ratios and really focus on expanding that access to as many students as possible.
1: That's amazing. So I know that in, I think you said in sixth grade when we spoke that, kids start their individual career and academic plan. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what that looks like and how that gets set up? Sure.
0: Yes. In the state of Colorado, we have what we call ICAP requirements, which is uh, individual career and academic plans. And the state of Colorado requires that a student begins their planning for um, graduation and their career, including college, uh, starting in ninth grade. DPS, though, we uh, think ninth grade is is too late. There's too much time. So we actually, as a graduation requirement, have made it so that our students sixth through twelfth grade have a scope and sequence of lesson plans that build on each other and include experiences and interest inventories for students and uh, you know, f- district-wide uh, career fairs for all eighth grade students. To help them get the hands-on components of exploring. Can't tell you how many times as a school counselor I'd have a student tell me, I want to be a veterinarian, miss. They're like, you know, darn set on that. And then I set them up with a job shadow and they come back and they're like, Oh, miss, all the animals were sick. <laughs> and it's yep. yep, they they are <laughs> tend to be sick. Um, but those those aha's are really important because If we don't give that exposure that's really concrete at an early enough age, then the students take in concurrent enrollment classes and and start down this other path, but also hasn't identified where they want to actually be. They just have this idea in their head that's not concrete. So starting in sixth grade at minimum, we have lessons that go down to kindergarten, um, but they're not required. They're more individually uh, allowed and controlled But um, starting in sixth grade, it's standard for students to get at minimum of four hours of instruction each year, which sounds like a really low bar, (laughs) four hours. Yeah. Yeah, that
1: doesn't seem like a lot.
0: Doesn't seem like a lot. And it's one of the more rigorous graduation requirements in the state of Colorado when it comes to ICAP. And so our low bar is still a high bar for a lot, unfortunately. But then we also... Have developed a lot of work-based learning opportunity for our students to expand on those required lessons from sixth through twelfth grade, um, anywhere from four to six hours per grade. So we've expanded our job shadows and our internships and our paid internships and um, a three-year apprenticeship program that helps a student get paid while going to school in a high wage, high growth career field that's in our community
1: you have you must have really strong connections and integration with local businesses right
0: yeah I think everyone can get on the same page and this is how uh, we as a state have really um, developed our relationship with legislators of all parties is um, our children in our community are our future they are our economy and our workforce and their success is innately important to us and as educators but is also innately important to economists and the you know government politicians from all all levels so we have legislation that supports the additional funding of school counselors that requires the college and career staff and has a lot of business buy-in because truly we are working to grow their employee base, getting our students degrees that lead to high wage, high growth jobs. It's always hard. I don't I know what your bachelor's degree in is in. Mine is psychology.
1: Right, right.
0: Where so, you have to have an advanced degree.
1: <laughs> right. I'm just having that conversation with my 16 or sorry, 17 year old right now about think about if you, if you're going to take whatever you're going to take, if you're done after four years or if you're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. Big difference. Yeah. So that's amazing though that, cause you told me too, like your mayor is bought in and business partners and there's all these stakeholders as well. It should be right. I mean, if we're educating kids to go out into the workforce, shouldn't the workforce be a part of that? Yeah. Um, it's a rhetorical question. I mean, <laughs> that should be happening everywhere and it's not, but let me go back for a second. So I kind of want to walk through the years, so sixth grade up, because each year there's kind of a different, I don't know if it's a different focus, but there's a different level Mm -hmm. of involvement or preparation, I guess, for the kids. And the majority of schools that I know about, public schools anyway, don't have anywhere near this kind of level of engagement for kids in career planning. And it's a hot button for me. Anybody who listens to the podcast knows this, that you can't just expect to send a kid out in the world at 18 who hasn't done the exploration and the research and the internships and everything else. So, so sixth grade they develop this plan, right? And then what happens from there?
0: So the plan continues to build on itself. We start with sixth grade around what does it mean to be a student? You know, what are the structures in your school? What are grades? Um, and and what? What does that build towards? Uh, we do interest inventories and uh, work values um, inventories to try to determine like what kind of environment uh, would this student see themselves in. And the goal is we give them multiple opportunities for these interests inventories because interests do change based off of influences from schools and experiences and you know, if your teacher ever told you that you were bad at something, then you just innately said to yourself that you weren't going to do a career in those fields. Um, So we uh, start that in sixth grade. They do interest inventories. We do resumes starting in seventh grade, talk about extracurricular activities and ways to engage and get involved. Eighth grade, we do, it's a very fun, very high energy event where we bring thirty six hundred thirteen 13-year-olds in and out of a space uh, within about six hours um, where they have taken two lessons prior on professionalism, shaking hands, professional dress, um, communication with adults, and then bring them in where they work with um, anywhere around 100 business partners with hands-on um activities. So the EMTs come and they bring a set of lungs, and the wow. students get to pump the lungs with the inflation. Yeah. It's very fun. Um, and then we teach them about high school and we help them pick their high school because we're we're largely a school of choice district where a student could go to any school that they pick. But which high schools are offering which CTE programs that align with your career interests or Um, college classes that align with your your career interests to try to help students really find their best fit. Um,
1: And for those who don't know what CTE is, it's Career and Technical Education. I I, I keep assuming everybody knows that, but I'm pretty sure people don't.
0: True. I should know better than to introduce my <laughs> acronyms. Um, my mom used to work for the government and used to say that uh, between government and educator, she's not sure who uses the most acronyms. Um,
1: Corporate America is pretty bad too. Having there. been there, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, ninth grade, we teach them again about GPAs and grades and why grades matter and. Um, talk about college admissions and financial aid. We start talking about in middle school, but we, we build their language because, um, introducing a Pell grant versus the concept that there is money out there that will help you go to school are very, very different. You know, if I have a student in sixth grade who knows what an EFC is expected family contribution, I'd be stunned, but, um, Yeah.
1: I, most 17-year-olds don't know what that is. No. So, yeah. 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 Okay.
0: So it builds, and then um, the students write their college essay in 11th grade with their English teacher in, in collaboration, and um, we do a checkout lists and things like that for our students to ensure that they've got what they need to complete their post-secondary plan, whatever that might be. And then we hire counselors over the summer to help our students matriculate to whatever that plan might be, whether that's military, two-year, four-year, technical school, um, workforce, any of the above.
1: And that's over the summer after graduation.
0: Over the summer after graduation in their 12th grade year. Yeah.
1: That alone is huge. Yeah. I mean,
0: right now we're working on developing a program where we hire DPS staff where the students know them, to go work at the college campus to help the students navigate the college process on campus. But of course our funding is K-12 funding. And so Mm. just,
1: just got to find the
0: the dollars. So, yeah.
1: Well, and you did mention again, when we first spoke something about 13th grade.
0: Yes. Great. Can you
1: talk about that?
0: Yeah. The state of Colorado has a couple of pieces of legislation that allows us to keep our students um, after they qualify for graduation in that 12th grade, um, which gives them an extra year of the district is still getting paid from the state to educate that student, but instead of um, us educating that student, we're really just using the, the dollars to pay for tuition um, with the hopes that the student gets um, a free year of college and fingers crossed have earned an associate's degree by the time they're done with grade 13. So that they don't have to eat into their financial aid packages or anything like that. We can assist them in paying for it. A couple of ways of doing that, but it's very powerful.
1: Yeah. That should be in place at every single high school. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of what you're doing should be in place at every single (laughs) high school. And we know it's not. So let me go ahead. Why? Like, how did this all happen? I mean, it sounds like it was started before you got there, but it sounds like you've made a lot of improvements and enhancements. How does this happen that one public school system makes the decision to invest in kids so much?
0: Um, That is a great question. Why does Denver... (laughs) Uh, to be fair to my peers in Colorado, we do have a number of pieces of legislature that help us to complete some of these things. So we are set up in a way that, again, everyone agrees that our students are our future to our economy. And so their success is paramount. Denver Public Schools doubles down on a lot of this, um, with the help of external funders, as well as our own general fund. Um, because our our students are marginalized and they are um, deserving of high quality high wage uh, positions in their own community, whereas typically we've we have imported our professional workforce to a great extent. So our, yes, our businesses are they are invested and and sometimes it it just took a conversation. It's um, very similar with our college partners you know, we had to get on the same page with our higher ed partners that we want to send them as best we can set up for success for your institution and also institution. How are you going to provide the wraparound services that my students need so that they will be successful? Um, And luckily, our community partners, our higher ed partners, everybody um, can really come from that place of we're in this together and what benefits you benefits the student benefits me benefits our whole community. Um, so we've, it's just taken, you know, some years of conversations and, and tough conversations. And a part of that conversation is always engage the student voice. Um, our students are smart, um, smarter than I ever was or will be or, you know, I learn from them all the time. But um, we have a lot of student voice and civic action uh, curriculum that we we try to work with our students to understand where policy comes from, where even our, you know, high school procedures come from and how they can um, interact in a healthy way with all of those things so that they can help advocate for the things that they see on a day-to-day basis that those of us working you know, at a district level or, or parents who only see their children at home, uh, we may not have full eyes or understanding the same way that our students do. And their voice has made a lot of change within Denver Public Schools, our students. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: You guys are doing so much in so many ways. Uh, And I love that you're engaging kids as their stakeholders, right? They're the, the most important stakeholders and they're having input and involvement in decisions that are being made. That's amazing. What about the social emotional learning cuz this what you told me about this kind of blew me away.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we um we are very much wrestling with the social emotional learning and have been for a few years now with the knowledge that if our students are coming to school traumatized or um dysregulated with their emotions that they're not learning. Um and so we had the the great pleasure. We've got great leadership um, that recognizes that and understands that. And so as of this year, 100% of our schools were required to have daily social emotional learning minutes in their daily schedule. So at the elementary level, it was 20 minutes minimum. At the secondary level, it was 30 minutes minimum um, each day to address Social-emotional learning, which includes the college and career components, because that is, you know, your well-being for your future very much lies in social-emotional. We have since picked a district curriculum. So we have a curriculum that we will be using with 100% of our students, uh, K through 12th grade, on social-emotional.
1: Can you you just name a couple of things that's involved in that? Like it's mindfulness, right? And other things.
0: There's mindfulness and there's things like uh, creating a goal. There's, depending on the age range, you know, conflict management stuff. Conflict is natural. Conflict is healthy. How do you navigate conflict without attacking or, you know, in a way that someone else can hear your feedback, I guess. And part of that conversation now is also at the adult level, right? It's not just a curriculum. But I, as an adult, am interacting with students on a daily basis. And so how am I triggering my students in their trauma? And how am I triggered that might cause further triggering with my students? And so um, we have a school, an elementary school, actually, that has just knocked it out of the park. Um, on our scorecard, we do colors. And so for our schools, we had a school that was um, a red school. And then they hired additional mental health, two uh, school counselors, and they implemented um, a whole bunch of practices. Anything from their administrators are at every entrance every morning, making an individual connection with every student and family that enters the building, to um, planned groups for every kid assigned to mental health providers and our school-based mental health providers are checking in on our teachers and are monthly having the conversation around which child is, you know, triggering you. Tell me what, you know, what's the behavior. What have you tried? Maybe try these things also. And um, the combination of all of it, the school went from red to green in one year. And that report card is largely, it's not based off of social emotional, it's based off of reading scores and math test scores. Wow! Yeah, they are living proof that by addressing the social-emotional learning components, you improve academic standards for students at at all ranges, in all languages, across the board. That's
1: incredible.
0: It is pretty amazing. I um, admire that uh, team so immensely. They're so organized.
1: And given the past year or year and a half we've had with COVID, this kind of engagement the social emotional learning has to be making a huge difference for yes. kids who are struggling
0: yeah it's it's a difficult conversation with educators sometimes because we're so test score focused we're we're required to be test score focused yep that to give them permission to say time out you are not focusing on math right now you as a math teacher are focusing on creating that relationship with your students so that you know where they're at and they know where you're at as a human. And then we'll focus on this idea of uh, lost learning through a pandemic of virtual and online. And um, I'm sure you've heard plenty of stories that, you know, we've got children who live in different states now with families but are still, you know, Denver Public School students children who have taken on full-time work because they can make more money than their parents and they pay the electric bill. We actually estimate something like 50% of our high school students are contributing to the family unit um, financially through their work. Wow. Yeah, helping to pay for rent or the electrical or something.
1: And they're still attending school.
0: And are still a full-time high school student, yeah.
1: So, and you might've mentioned this before, What percentage of your high schoolers are on a track or on the path toward CTE or, you know, work after high school? Is it kind of a a 50-50 split with college and and career direction? There is
0: a split and they're very um, connected. And so we might help to find a student or help a student to find an opportunity where they can work full-time while also going to school. Again, some of our college partners really hit it out of the park when it comes to like financial aid Mm. opportunities or helping um, a student's family navigate some of the social systems that could provide childcare or things like that. And so uh, having said that, I would say that We have probably about 70% of our students reporting that they're going to go to college next year, college of some sort. And then we see the typical summer melt that every school district sees of about 20% of our students um, that said they were going to go to college actually don't make it to college within a period of three months.
1: But you're working to address that, right? By having those counselors over the summer. Mm -hmm. We're working to address that. And you have like a checklist or something of steps they have, five or six tasks you said they have to complete to avoid the belt?
0: Yeah, yeah. So before our students graduate or participate in graduation activities, they have to answer senior exit survey. And that survey is used by counselors that I hire over the summer to identify how they might help that student to matriculate to their plan. And so we know that there are certain things that have a higher indication that a student is going to actually matriculate. And we also try to offer those opportunities while the student is still with Denver Public Schools before they graduate, just to give them a head start. So we have programs with some of our uh, university partners that matriculate the most of our, our students. We call them red carpet days quote unquote red carpet. Um, what they are is a DPS only um, orientation program that Denver Public Schools pays for transportation and participation for our students who are going to matriculate there and pays for, for example, the student ID so the student sees themselves as a student of that institution. But other other indicators would be the student attended orientation and that the student has registered for class. From a college standpoint, um, if you want to help your student be successful as a parent, you need to make sure that they take their math in college that very first year. They cannot avoid it. They got to tackle those math requirements right off the bat, regardless. That is actually a huge indicator from the college level as to if a student's going to complete their degree plan or not.
1: Really, if they take the math, if they take their math the first year. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I know I avoided it. So. <laughs> <laughs> As do most. Yeah. So I, I want to, I'm literally, I want to, I'm going to hang up and write to my school board and be like, listen to this episode. <laughs> and I, we live in a district that's doing a pretty good job. That's all I'm going to say. But, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying. There, it's there's, it's clear that they can be doing a lot more. So many of us don't live within the Denver Public School District. What advice do you have for parents who, whose kids aren't experiencing what Denver Public School kids are? How can we help our kids kind of achieve the same, not the same, but similar results and and success?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I appreciate that. And thank you for Um, giving DPS uh, credit and shout outs. I would, depending on the age of your child, you know, if they're elementary, there is a list of books and Betsy, I sent you the links. Feel free to send those out. A list of books on career exposure, starting from elementary that help with exposure, but helping, you know, ask your student, what, what careers did you see today? And just having that conversation—we call those meaningful career conversations—where an adult is just genuinely interested, um, and helping students understand real-world, real-life skills. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. When you when you go to college, your girlfriend is going to expect that you make more than mac and cheese for dinner.
1: That's <laughs> really important. Tell um, that to my 70-year-old.
0: I'm happy to. You like, give me, yeah. I will tell him that all day long. Um, <laughs> But helping your student to see the careers that are around them, um, you can set up job shadows. If you've got family, friends, or anything, you know, cl- call a lifeline. See if you can get your student to follow that professional around for two hours and um, three hours. Sometimes that's all it takes to either confirm that a student is really into that career field or not into that career field, which is equally valid. And our our college numbers uh, prove it. Where the average student doesn't graduate from college in four years anymore, because they change majors three and four times. Yep. Um, yep. So it gets just more expensive. So the more you can earlier help the student to identify those, and then from a, from a school standpoint, you know, advocating for the development of um, career pathways in CTE and when a lot of people hear career and technical education, they think of like the construction and plumbing, which is true. And also there's web development uh, and, you know, nursing, for example, that we have students that graduate with their certified nursing assistant uh, certificate, you know, before they walk out the door, they're already qualified for a decently paying job.
1: Yeah. Our school, we actually have, our district actually has a pretty strong CTE, department and and offerings for the kids. My biggest beef is that it's what happens before the CTE, right? Like I just don't feel like schools in general, not just ours, are doing a really good job helping kids figure out who they are, what they're good at, and what they enjoy because it's all about as I say on the high school hamster wheel, you know, get the grades, get your GPA up, get the test scores, but We never stop to, and there's no survey or tool that is a requirement for them Mm -hmm. to do that work, that internal kind of investigation. And that's where I think one of the things, I mean, there's a lot of things, but one of the things that I think Denver Public Schools is doing well, like you're helping these kids learn about who they are and what they want, which I think is a very big misstep in a lot of districts.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a hard thing to prioritize when K-12 districts are so strapped for dollars and we're only graded on our test scores, then it is very hard to yep. expand visioning and understand maybe the deeper prioritize, I guess. On, mm-hmm. Not that they don't understand, but you know, if we had all the money in the world, we would be doing everything right.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's it, you're right, it's a system problem, it's not a teacher problem, it's not a counselor problem, it's not really even a school problem because they don't have the funding. Whereas you guys are getting a lot of funding and, and then some, right?
0: I mean, um, not from our state, our state, mm-hmm. uh, we're pretty low on the totem pole when it comes to national per pupil operating revenues. We do have. New legislation that I think will bring us back up to the funding level that we experienced in education in two thousand and eight is mm-hmm. where we will finally get back to our benchmark here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've uh, Denver public Schools actively seeks out funding, whether that be through mills and bonds or through community partnerships and grant dollars and collaboration with our higher ed partners and kind of an, an agreement again, we're all in it together. So like, can I use a portion of my money to help combine with a portion of your money to try to do what's best for our students? So we actively seek out big dollars, big federal dollars, big state dollars
1: to support our initiatives. So yeah, it always takes money, doesn't it? It always does. Well, you, you guys are clearly getting return on your investment, it sounds like, which is fantastic. I have the links that you sent me and I'll put them in the show notes. And you've been so open with just information and links and sharing, which is so amazing. I'm hoping that other educators and other people who have influence in schools are listening to this and will go to the show notes and check out the links. But before we go, I want to ask you a question I ask a lot of my guests. If you could go back to high school and give high school Sam one piece of advice, what would it be?
0: Ooh, one piece of advice. You know, there was a piece of advice I had been given in high school that um, took me pretty far in lots of directions, which was don't say no to opportunity. Mm -hmm. And as my mother always said, if you're... uh,
1: in your comfort
0: zone, you're not learning
1: anything. That's wise, very wise. Yes, my
0: mom is a very, very wise woman. Um, I love
1: that.
0: And so for, yeah, for the students out there, just you know, really put yourself out of your comfort zone for whatever it's worth. And then, you know what? Your success is not determined by someone telling you what you can and cannot do or what your test scores say you can or cannot do because- Um, I was never told that I was a PhD candidate and then I dang it. You just can't tell me no. So,
1: (laughs) and there you go, finally figured it out, but yes, that's amazing. That is so great. Thank you so much. So where can people reach out to you I mean I'm following Denver public Schools on social media mm-hmm. um, what's the best is that the best way to kind of follow what you guys are doing and yeah for sure we have a, a Instagram
0: and Facebook that we're starting with the college and career success stuff where you'll find a lot if we do virtual programming. oh um, great so yeah all parents listening you guys can access that where we have a student that interviews. Professionals across the country about what do you like about your job, what surprised you about your job, and we record them all.
1: Um, And that's on Instagram.
0: That that you'll find some links to it on Instagram or Facebook. Okay. All of our lessons are recorded on a YouTube channel from the website that I gave you, Betsy. And honestly, again, we're all in, in this together, regardless of what state or or district or country even that you are in. If you have Uh, words of wisdom, or ways that DPS can improve our services, we are all ears and all about collaborating. So um, don't be uh, hesitating and reaching out with feedback
1: too. So, Awesome. Thank you. I I can't thank you enough for this. This has been so interesting and it gives me so much hope because you guys are doing such an amazing job with, with education and with young people. And I just think you're You're an inspiration for other districts, and I hope others catch on and and follow suit.
0: Thank you, Betsy. I work with some pretty brilliant people, so I won't take credit, but I will pass that along to all of those that deserve it. So,
1: Thank you. Thank you. Pretty amazing, right? I am blown away by what Sam and her team are accomplishing, and I truly wish that every single student in our country could experience what's happening within the Denver Public School District. Yes, it takes a lot of resources and a lot of commitment and mostly a lot of money. Our schools are underfunded and our education system needs improvement. But if Denver Public Schools can do it, then why can't the rest of us? If you're an educator, please share this episode with someone in your district who can make change happen. And if you're a parent, please share this episode with another parent and a teacher and an administrator. As parents, it's up to us to advocate and to demand better for our kids. It's time for our public schools to turn the focus from standardized tests to ensuring student success. It's what's best for kids. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm glad you're here and I'd be grateful if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback and would love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. All links and references mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at HighSchoolHamsterWheel.com slash 79. Be sure to follow the High School Hamster Wheel podcast on Facebook and join me and my co-host, Jay Dusold, in our Life After 12th Facebook group, where we provide support and encouragement for parents of career-confused teens and 20-somethings. That wraps it up for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel podcast.